Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. En Ford creemos que ya sea que estés bajo el foco de atención o bajo tu propio techo, que tengas 90 minutos o 9 horas, que estés empezando cambios o un largo viaje, fortaleza es hacer todo, como si el mundo entero te estuviera mirando. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Fuerza así de inteligente, solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. Okay, I got Tucker. Tucker, you're the first repeat guest I've ever had on. You were the first guest, and now you're the first repeat guest. Excellent. So and I'm very excited. It's a very special episode. You know how, like, <laughs> whenever Beverly Hills 90210 had, like, a very special Thanksgiving episode, course, they would announce course. it all, all week? So this is a very special episode because I just want to describe for a second. You wrote, I hope they serve beer in hell, assholes finish first, hilarity ensues, right. sloppy seconds, everything about... Essentially, your 20s and teens, maybe a little right. bit. Uh, you, I'm just going to say it, just you were doing everything. You were screwing every girl in town. and Every girl that would screw me. Yes. Not all of them. <laughs> okay, Many said no. <laughs> right, right. You, and you, you, what I like about those books, by the way, which nobody appreciates, and, and we could talk about this some other time, but you have a lot of imitators and they all fail. Yeah. And the way they fail is they just want to talk, they just want to brag about what right. they're doing. They don't ever Where, talk about the bad stuff. Well, you're honest and authentic in those books. And I don't even like using the word authentic, but that is a right a legitimate writing style. And I think that's really why your books are successful. Mm -hmm. Because you have a kind of a philosophy of life that also comes through and you acknowledge your weaknesses in these books. But that's not why we're here. No. We're here because... For the, the opposite reason. For the opposite reason. The evil Tucker Max. Like, <laughs> literally, when my first podcast with you came out, um, somebody even commented that, oh, I get it now. And, like, they banned me forever. Like, <laughs> so like so people don't like you. Right. And, but here... Well, we're, well, some people. Some I, people. You can't sell millions of books uh, okay, and be hated. Right, right, right. right. But, but, but the reason we're here is for the opposite reason. is because now, for the first time ever, you're saying... A brutal change, and I'm going to say it's brutal. A brutal change has happened in your life. Tucker Max has become a father. Yes. So, well, it's it, even more than that. So, I don't really talk a lot about my private or personal life. Um, it's funny. People think my well, books only are, in your four books, right? Well, no, but that's the funny <laughs> thing is, is even those books, I only talk about the things that are funny or crazy or ridiculous. Ninety percent of my life doesn't go in those books, right? So, people a lot for years, people would meet me and. Some dude would come up to me and he'd be like, I don't understand why you aren't drunk laying under the table screaming curses at people. And I'm like, dude, it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday in Whole Foods. Right. Like, what do you expect me to do? So, well, you're Tucker Max. You should always be drunk. And so people have this image of me that I'm always the guy in my books, right? And that's just – that was never true. But now, like, uh, my last book, uh, Hilarity Ensues and Sloppy Seconds came out together and I kind of retired from frat tire at the end. 
And then everyone was like, well, what are you going to do next, et cetera? And I'd always talked about, I obviously want to meet a great girl, settle down, get married, have kids. And people would like look at me and laugh and whatever. And I, I couldn't understand. Because it's Be- funny. Well, <laughs> but only if, you th- only if you think you have to pick in your life between partying and having fun and having a family. Like they're mutually exclusive. I think they are mutually exclusive at the same time. But not over the course of a life. Right. You can do one and then go do the other. And, right? and, and to be fair, also, it's not just between partying and, and writing and then having a family. I mean, we, as we discussed in our last podcast, you've, you've become a serious investor. I mean, I've, I've, you know, we've co-invested in stuff together. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you, you have a wide range. Uh, you're invested in, like, medical technology companies. Like, you have a wide range of business interests. So it's not about the frat. When was the last, like, frat tire piece you wrote? Oh, man. Uh, just leading up to my book. I mean, 2010, 2011. Okay. And the last thing I really did even like that was... Oh nine, maybe two thousand ten. Like, but then you wrote some like serious stuff on the Huffington Post. Like you wrote about um, the publishing process, which we'll talk about in another podcast. Right, right. Well, you wrote about uh, what to do with if you're stopped by the police. That was a great article. So what? What's, right. what's why not the, to go to law school? Yeah, why all not these to go sorts to law of things. School? But wait, I want, let's talk about what this podcast is about before yes. we we get into it. So basically, I never really wrote about my personal life or talked about it, and so. Um, I promised you, I don't know when it was, six months, a year ago, when my then girlfriend, now uh, fiance, soon to be wife. Oh, congratulations. She, oh, yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that in a minute. I always these things on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, I promised you I would disclose this or sort of come pu- talk about my private life publicly first time on your podcast, right? So to let everyone know, uh, I am now um, engaged to a wonderful uh, woman that I've been, you know, dating whatever for years, about two years maybe, uh, and we actually have uh, a child together. Uh, he is now f- almost four months old. He's four months old actually. Uh, his name is Bishop Max. And um, now, is that after a chess piece? Like, why Bishop? <laughs> uh, all right. So the name. You want to start with the yeah, name? Yeah. Okay. Just because so, it's, it's actually, an, I, I think it's a really cool name. Yes. Like he's gonna kick ass in school and stuff yes. with that name, but. It's it's an odd name. It is. Uh, so we wanted two things. We wanted a name that was very unique. Um, actually, three things. We wanted a name that was very unique. Uh, be, uh, there's nothing worse than uh, you know going to kindergarten and there's eight kids with the same name, right? Jared. Right, exactly. And one of the things that's helped me in my life has no one's name Tucker Max. Still, st- to this day, I am the only Tucker. There are other there are Max Tuckers, but there is no Tucker Max on Earth. I'm the only one, and that's really helped, right? So uh, a unique name, but I didn't want it to be some ridiculous name like word that doesn't exist. Jamira Choir. I'm not making up some word for my son. Because that's uh, that's um, that's a burden uh, on, on him. I wanted it to be a word that people knew and people could pronounce, right? And no one is gonna really make fun of him with that name. Like, there's no that's a badass name, yeah, Bishop there's no, Max. There's no derivative of no. that. That like I had the worst with my last name. I can't even repeat yeah, it. All too true. So, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah so, of course. 
Um, so there was those two, you and then could, you could have had trouble with. Oh Tucker well, Tucker Max. fucker. I had yeah. a bunch of. I had a bunch, and it was funny. It was like I had a lot of problems with it as a, as a kid, but then as I, I got older. Uh, people would like look at they'd say my name like a teacher or someone Tucker Max and they'd look at it that's a fucking cool name Tucker Max like it's it just sounds good it rolls off the uh, tongue so that was the third thing I wanted with uh, or that Veronica and I wanted with Bishop is we wanted a name that sounded really good and that really was like when you hear it you're like that could be like the hero in like a really cool adventure novel or something right, right, right. and Bishop Max is like oh yeah that's like a, that's an action movie star name you know <laughs> like that's just he's almost going to have to be a little bit badass because people or a great are, chess player well he could be he could be a, although going into I feel like going into chess would be like that's almost like being Michael Jordan's son and playing basketball you know right, it's like right. people are going to expect crazy things if your name is Bishop and you're a chess player, people will be like, eh, you know. Right. Uh, but if you're almost anything else, it's like immediately badass. And the only two, uh, and no one has this name, by the way. Uh, in the you, you can go on the Social Security database for the government and you can check first names for like 20 years uh, back. Uh, Bishop's not in the top thousand. Like there never. Like no one uses this name. And there's only two real pop culture references for Bishop. There's uh, you remember the movie Aliens. Yes. The android was Bishop, the I guy did, who I saves him. I did not him. remember that. I did not know that. Every white dude I tell Bishop <laughs> my age is like, oh, Bishop from the aliens. And every funny. black dude is the lead guy from uh, Juice, the, the Tupac's character. Uh, His funny. name was Bishop, right? <laughs> Which is actually, there's an NFL running back, Bishop Sankey. He's named after Tupac's character in Juice. And someone yeah. asked me that. And I was like, no, no, that's not actually what we named him after. But there's virtually no... No precedent in pop culture or very small ones for Bishop as a first name. So, so it sounds like you did. I mean, I I didn't do a lot of thinking into the names of my daughters. Maybe a lot of people do do that. But you, it sounds like you did extra a research a into this name. We did a lot of thinking because my name, I think, has been a, a a big part of my success. I feel like if my name was Jaime Goldstein, I don't think I would have become who I am, Not right? that you're anti-Semitic or anything. <laughs> I'm well, Jewish. Well to, well, to pick, I mean, any name. Like, if my, my name was uh, Teishi uh, Koate or something, right. would pick any, or even just, a like, a, a, an Anglo-Saxon name. If my name was, you know, uh, Frank Stinko, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. no one thinks Frank Stinko is a badass. It, never, ever. Yeah. Like, you just... It, <laughs> It doesn't matter what you do, right? Uh, there are certain names that create. I think a lot of names start. Um, they are basically the first seed of the identity that the person becomes, and uh, so I wanted to give my son the best shot at having whatever identity he wanted, and having a really strong name allows you to be strong and awesome and a badass. But then you know, if he's like a very sensitive. Uh, sort of different type of person. Having a badass name won't necessarily hurt him. It just gives him all the possible options. So, so let's reel it back one second. When you first found out your Veronica, your girlfriend was pregnant, right? What was your? And you know, again, this is not an unusual situation in the sense that men and women get, pre- you know, women get right. pregnant all the time. Yeah. But for you, it's it struck me as a surprise. So even though I know, and and just pulling it back to the listeners, it's very important that. Everybody has opportunities to reinvent themselves, to change themselves. Life is all about reinvention. But I also was surprised when I found out you were going to have a kid. So I, I don't see it as a reinvention. I honestly didn't see it as a reinvention. I just saw it as a natural evolution. Uh-huh. You know, like I always wanted kids. I didn't want them at 
30, you know, when I was sleeping with tons and tons of women, because that would have been a disaster. I would have been a terrible father, right? I wanted, I wanted uh, kids in a loving relationship with a great woman where we could raise them together uh, and, 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 and be great parents, right? So how did you know Veronica was going to be the, the great woman that you would have kids with? Well, so we had did been you dating. Plan? Did you plan this? No. Uh, sort of. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sort of, everything went backwards, right? So we've been dating. Um, I, I met her. You want me the whole story of how I met her and all that stuff? Sure. Or? Well, I actually met her through CrossFit. Um, my CrossFit coach is a I've, woman. I've met her. She's really yeah. She's fit. Well, she. I mean, she went to the CrossFit games and she's like a competitor and she's you know. If she's, she hit you, you would you would be in pain. Uh, maybe she not be, me. She could be. She, she would. Hit, she would hurt you, <laughs> yeah, but she yeah. wouldn't hurt me. Um, uh, she's about my height. She's six feet tall. She she played college basketball. She's an amazing athlete, um, and and, uh, and and then also you know obviously very sexy too and, and attractive. And my CrossFit coach, who's a woman, trains with her. My CrossFit coach is like a really great CrossFit competitor too. And she, my CrossFit coach, met me out. We went to some party, and I brought the girl I was seeing at the time. And my CrossFit coach like. The girl went to the bathroom and she came up to me and grabbed me and she goes, "This girl's not good enough for you." I'm like, "What do you mean that? Like, this girl's she's very nice, she's very cute. I like her." She's like, "No, she's not good enough for you. I'm gonna introduce you to my friend Veronica." She's and 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 she looks at me and she goes, "Tucker, her name's Jen." Jen goes, "Tucker, I don't think you can handle Veronica." And I was like, "Oh, I want to meet the girl I can't handle. That's the girl because either that means she's a crazy person, a lunatic, and I don't want to talk to her." Get or can't handle like if an if an insane asylum can't handle you, you're right. I can't handle you either, right? But if she's like really no, but smart, clearly this was like a psychological trick, and, of and, course. and, and, and someone in a position of authority over you, like you trusted your right. CrossFit coach. Uh-huh. So she's she's playing the game a little bit, a little bit, right? And and so I was like, she's like, I don't know if you can handle Veronica, but if you can, you guys are perfect for each other. And I was like, all right, because she's like, you know, she's six feet tall, she's blonde, she's She's beautiful. She's amazing at CrossFit. She's a nurse practitioner. She's really smart. Like she, most guys are intimidated by her. And I'm like, oh, please introduce me to the girl that that most dudes are intimidated by because I'm not going to be intimidated by her. I'm going to interact with her like a normal person. And so it was funny. We met. Um, she. W- it took her, Veronica six months to agree to uh, go out with me because. Uh, like Jen was like, oh yeah, like uh, you know, I'm gonna introduce you to Tucker Max. He's a famous writer, and Veronica had never heard of me. And so she Googled me, and she read like the first sentence on my website, my old website, and she's like, why would I want to meet this guy? He's an asshole. So she kind of like pushed Jen off and didn't. Um, oh my god, this is like your worst fear that when you meet the right woman, she's gonna read back your stuff. Well, I, I, sort of. Um, I didn't worry about it. I mean, it's like it's sort of like one of those things. Well, well, you know, if it. it if she thinks, uh, if she doesn't think my stuff is funny or engaging or whatever, which she actually didn't even read any of it, right? Mm. She just went by, she was a little too literal and went by the first sentence, like, you know, my name is Sucker Max and I'm an asshole. And she's like, Jen, why would you set me up with this guy? And Jen's like, no, 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 no. Like, you have to meet him, trust me. And it took about six months before she finally got Jen and her boyfriend, Travis, uh, who's my current CrossFit coach. The four of us went out and Veronica and I had a really good time, except Veronica kind of didn't like me. Because I uh, kept asking her questions, like about her family or about her uh, emotions or just really basic stuff, like mm. like like you doing your podcast, like mm. you kind of dig into the meat with people and and, and and like you and like Andrew Warner and the really good interviewers really get to sort of the uncomfortable place for people because that's where the best sort of content right. is, right? And I did that with her, and she didn't really like it. Uh, she kind of got uneasy and didn't like it, and then we didn't talk for like a week. 
or, she, or you know, we kind of talked a little bit, and then uh, she agreed to go out on a second date with me. And during the second date, I didn't think I honestly I wasn't sure if I liked her, and I and I wasn't sure she liked me. But she was there was a lot there, so I wanted to see. You know, you can't always tell the first second time. In the middle of our second date, she said something to me that blew me away. I've never heard a woman say. So I, I do this. Any, I meet a woman I like. I like. I want to find out who she is and what she is. Right. So I done that with Veronica, and she got very uncomfortable, which is a super common thing because most people what, have. What was a, the question that got her uncomfortable? It wasn't one question. It was more like, it, it wasn't judgmental. It was just a series of questions. Like, you know, most people. So she thought you invaded like a boundary. No. No. You know how most people uh, have a lot of sort of truths about their lives that they never really examine? And if you just ask them questions, they get to those sort of things about themselves that they don't want to think or see or feel. You put a mirror up to their soul, essentially, right? Okay, but to be fair, on a first date, not everyone wants a mirror put up to their soul. Totally, <laughs> totally right. But part of uh, my thing is I, I, I really am attracted to, especially in a long-term partnership, a strong woman, an emotionally, mentally strong woman. And so, like, I don't waste time figuring out if she's strong or not, right? right. And it, it was not, I, I, I got to emphasize, it's not like a judgmental thing. I wasn't like, oh, you need to be in therapy. It was more like, you know, or your mom's crazy, or you're crazy. It wasn't like that. It was just asking questions. And then her answers, it was obvious, like, you know, there, she had some issues with her dad and her mom that she hadn't really examined and some just low-level emotional stuff. Nothing big. I mean, this, she's the most stable woman I know. But um, just a few things. And so during our second date, it was about a week later. And this is just the two of you now? Just the two of us. In the middle of the date, she said, look, she goes, um, I thought a lot about, she's like, quite, to be honest, I was pretty uncomfortable uh, at the end of our first sort of, not really date, but the first time we met. And I basically, I couldn't stop thinking about it all week. And I really, uh, like, you... You didn't tell me anything I didn't know, but you really pointed out some things that um, I kind of knew but didn't want to face. And I've decided that I'm going to start um, a little bit of therapy because I have a few things I need to work out. And and I, I because of that conversation, I, I like they're now obvious to me, and I'm going to go work on them. And, well, and well, I looked at well, well, what was like away. an example thing, like so, not, okay, not to be so, personal in her life, but so her um, her dad. Uh, died like two years um, before I met her, right? Her, her dad's uh, dead. And um, uh, she had some like residual issues with like that, right? Because mm-hmm. her dad her dad loved her very much and was really a, a great man. But al- he also had a lot of anger issues and uh, was hard on her in a lot of ways, right? Sort of hard on her in the way that a, a loving uh, sort of type A parent can be, right? And there were a lot of issues that like he hadn't really resolved all that stuff with her before he died, right? So there were some sort of threads there that were a little bit left and her and her mom have some issues like her mom's a very sweet wonderful woman um and uh, we're, we're going to talk more about her mom later on in this podcast in relationship to bishop um because she's now i guess my mother-in-law or soon to be but um she's a wonderful woman but uh she's very she's a very southern woman and, and i don't want to say passive but very um she she just has a very sort a very different personality type than Veronica. Veronica is very aggressive and go getter and and do it yourself. And she has her own company and you know and and her 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 mom's not like that at all. So they've had a lot of conflicts around that about sort of how they interact with each other. And I mean these are really basic low level stuff, um, but just things that like you know we all push unpleasant emotional stuff out of our minds unless we're forced to deal with it, right? 
But the thing is, I do this to people all the time. I know you do the same thing. We do this to people all the time, and most people either ignore it or get upset or just turn away or don't do anything. I had never met a woman who, uh, like when I pointed these things, or not even pointed these out, like I didn't even make judgmental calls. I just asked her questions. I had never met a woman who accepted like saw it, recognized it, accepted it, and then decided she was going to change it. I was blown the fuck away at at her intelligence, at her emotional strength, at her fortitude. The reality is it took me like three or four years probably to even make the decision to go into therapy for myself. This woman did it in a fucking week. Like that's crazy. That's mm. insane. That's that, 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 and it's not insane. That's amazing is really what it is. And at that point, I was like, I knew she had all the sort of um, resume things that I wanted in a girl. But that's when I knew emotionally and sort of really on a deep interpersonal level, we were we were going to connect. Mm. Right. And I I that was like when I was like, I could I could I could be with this woman for a long time, I think. Um, and then then from there, um, it was last year, actually, or uh, a while ago, when I was spent the summer in New York. We met a week before I went to New York, right? And uh, and, and she came here with you. I, yeah, I right. Think I met her then. Right. Yeah, you, that's when you met her. But the funny thing is, so I, I did something. I think that that her moment for me was was the next week. So I went to New York, and we went back and forth. And I had basically a two day window where I was free. And so I to, like I, I remember I called her up and I said, look. Um, I really want to see you again. And she wanted to see me too. Like it was definitely mutual. But I was like, uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm going to be in New York for a month. I have a two-day window. I want to come back and go on a date with you. And I, and I was like, I want to be honest. I don't have any fucking reason to come back to Austin. Like I'm not going to make up, oh, I have to have a meeting and, and make an excuse. If I come back, it's going to be because we're going on a date. So I don't want you to like flake on it or think this is casual because this isn't casual for me. And she was like, no, I feel the same way. I would love to see you. So, so let me ask you a question. The, you're, you, know, you have a reputation. So you're in New York for that first week. Did she have any even residual like later on trust issues? Like what were you doing between second date and third no, date? No, no, because we weren't, uh, we weren't dating. I mean, we weren't even like we had the, at the end of that second date, the one where I was like blown away. I, I drove her because I'd picked her up. You I shook her, her hand home. at the end of the day. No, no, no. <laughs> I totally listen. I didn't expect uh, her to like invite me up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because she's she's very much like uh, I don't want to say kind of a southern conservative girl at heart, at least sexually, right? Um, well, uh, we'll talk about that later. But like in terms of how long it takes her to be comfortable enough with a guy to sleep with him, um, I expected her to be like uh, like Claudia told the story was with you. Like I have a 13 date rule or whatever. Right. I was expecting something like that from her. Um, and then, but like not, I didn't expect what happened. I, I dropped her off at home and she was like, I thought the date went amazing. After that, the date I thought was amazing, like amazing connection and electricity. And I drop her off and I like kind of, I was going to kiss her and that was it. She was basically out of the car before it stopped. And she's like, Awesome, you know, great time, thank you, and boom, and took off. And I was like, 
I was like blown away. I was like, what the fuck just happened? I thought we had this amazing date. I like, it made me question for a second if I knew anything at all about women. Cause I was like, why? I mean, I was like, so man. maybe that triggered a little bit of insecurity. Cause then you go on the, you go to New York and the first thing you think to do once you're free is to call her. Maybe well, there was no, a little no, insecurity well, behind that. Yeah, sort of. Not the first thing. We emailed back and forth a lot over mm-hmm. the next sort of week before I made the plans to come back to see her, right? We emailed a lot. We talked on the phone two or three times. And it wasn't, it was like, we just basically, conti- the conversation we had at dinner, we just continued having over email and phone. And um, and it wasn't insecurity. It was more like um, there are not a lot of times in your life that you meet someone that connects with you on a lot of levels. And when you do meet that person, you should make a sincere effort to see where that goes. You know, I think it's very interesting because I have two children, but not with Claudia. I had a first wife. Claudia is my second wife. I do think, so the reason I'm asking these questions is I do think the very most important decision a man or a woman can make is who they're going to partner with for their life. No doubt. Because if you make the wrong decision, it's years of agony. And particularly then if you have kids, there's a lot of issues. There's legal, financial, personal issues. So it's a very important decision to see and to see how you uh, kind of built up to that decision. Well, it's funny. The, it, Particularly uh, now, you're, you're doing a podcast called The Mating Grounds, you know, all about how well, I'm people, helping to teach guys, meet. right, exactly, uh, sort of this stuff. Well, it, you know how we met? It, I, like, I started with the CrossFit coach, but you know how I even got to that point is s- maybe six months before that, my, uh, you know, I, like I, I think I talked about in your last podcast, I, I go to psychoanalysis and four times a week, and I'm coming actually towards the end of it. It's going to take me about four years to kind of go through the process um and uh i i like i kind of expressed to my analyst yeah of course i want to meet a great girl and a partner and this and that and and she's like well describe who you want and i kind of described her and she goes does that woman exist i'm like yes i have met that woman like married to other guys or i met her when i was 24 and i you know i was an but idiot then if i was the, if i was the psychoanalyst there though i would say well obviously you're always thinking about unavailable women she she did make that point a lot. Mm-hmm. So what she kind of helped me do was come up with a basic avatar. Like, like what are the things that matter most in, in, in a woman? And what does this woman look like? Not physically, but like what, what are the things she does? What is she into? Uh, and then, then basically, are you going to the places that that woman is? Are you doing the things that that she does, right? And not, it doesn't have to be everything, but like, you know, where you overlap, right? And I care a lot about health and fitness and eating right. So CrossFit was an obvious one. And before that, I was, you know, I, I, I know how to work out, man. I, I go to the gym, do my own workout. CrossFit to me always seemed like people who, who kind of need motivation and don't know what to do and whatever. Um, and I, I, it was funny. I joined CrossFit basically I made one of my female friends uh, join CrossFit because she she lost a bunch of weight and met a bunch of people. She needed she moved to Austin and needed to lose weight and meet people. And I'm like, you have to do CrossFit. And it was working amazing for her. She met like her boyfriend through it and she lost like 60 pounds and she looked amazing. And and so I, like it was funny. My analyst was like, wow, you have great advice for people that you don't follow. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> all right, fine. So I joined CrossFit. Six months later, my CrossFit coach, it took my CrossFit coach six months to get to know me well enough where she... Like, re- she both uh, felt comfortable with me and knew me well enough and liked me enough to introduce me to, like, a f- single friend of hers who she thought was, like, really high value. It didn't happen off the top, you know? So so, so let me kind of and, – and, again, I'm, um, I like to sort of pull it to the listeners. Like, uh, 
physically you were already in shape, but you decided to get into more shape. Like CrossFit is definitely no. an extreme. No, of... it didn't actually put me in really any better shape. Hmm. It was more that I wanted to meet a certain type of woman. And the, the type of woman that I wanted to meet was, was not going to be a bodybuilder. No, well, of course not. But she was probably going to be in CrossFit. She, she cares about her health, cares about her body, probably eats paleo or something similar. And those people tend to do CrossFit. Now, look, I'm sure there's amazing women out there that don't do CrossFit. But, like, that's one of – I had a list of, like, 20 things that, that those women did either socially or workout or whatever. CrossFit was one of them, and it overlapped with me. So Right. So, But it's not only the list of things about the women. It's also what you were doing. So of course. this is you, th- this was when you were also beginning to emotionally work on yourself, as mm-hmm. opposed to just kind of being in yeah. your twenties doing whatever. Exactly. And then you know, obviously, you've always had your kind of creative muscles on fire. Like that's you had all these best-selling books. Um, I wonder if there was anything else. Like, did you start following any kind of? Um, I don't like to use the word religious, but uh, was there anything you were doing kind of? For the soul. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, bo- people think Buddhism is like a, sort of a kooky religion, right? And it's not at all. Buddhism is sort of an ethical, uh, moral process and really a process that's designed uh, for deep um, sort of um, spirituality. And, well, and, and spirituality, I'm sorry. Look, what really what Buddhism does is it teaches you how to deal with the pain of being alive. It's the greatest self-help program there is on earth. Right, because the and first it totally rule is works. everything's suffering. Right. That, 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 that's the, not the Dharma, but the Dhamma is that um, that's the sort of the unifying principle of Buddha. And probably getting a lot of this stuff wrong. So if you have like real Buddhists out there who are serious and been doing this for 30 years, like please don't – I hope I'm not butchering it too much. But the point is like all life is suffering and Buddhism helps you – uh, teach you how to deal with the suffering, and the basic idea is the only way to deal with suffering is to go through to embrace that it exists, understand it, go through it, because contentment and satisfaction and happiness are on the other side. Not you can't turn away from suffering and be happy and content. You have to turn into it, right? And, and go he, through it. And he talks about the practice of that as opposed to talking about a god. Like there's even a great book, Confessions mm-hmm. of a Buddhist Atheist by right. Stephen Batchelor, mm-hmm. which discusses is B- Buddha an atheist? And the results are inconclusive, but he probably is. He probably never even thought about a god. Not that he was an atheist because they didn't have that word then, right. but he probably just never thought about it. Right. And he also says something which I think is the strongest marketing message in history, which is he said, look. It worked. It don't believe me. It worked. This Do is it. what works for me. Right. You can try it for yourself and see. So I think it's the strongest marketing the, message. So there are a lot of great books about Buddhism. The one that really connected with me was called "The Trauma of Everyday Life" by Mar- uh, Dr. Mark Epstein. He is a psychoanalyst. Oh yeah, he's and right here in the city. You should bring him on the podcast. He's I, you know, amazing. I would, except I think my sister is a patient. Oh, so, really? Are you I, serious? Yeah, yeah, and I, and we don't speak right now, so uh, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be almost a conflict. He's he's uh, really brilliant. He has a lot of books. I think his best is the trauma of everyday life. And the basic uh, sort of point of the book is he's, he, he kind of shows how the Buddhist – the process the Buddha, the Buddha learned and went through, the, the process that became Buddhism is essentially uh, a self-analysis. And he kind of explains how it works and why it works. And he really kind of analyzes um, what the Buddha did and, and how he went through it. And it's really smart and it walks you through it in a really brilliant way. And it, it – it makes Buddhism really simple. So I don't really consider myself a Buddhist, but I did start meditating about a year ago. Um, and meditation is like 
It's, I mean, so especially right combined with you, psychoanalysis. Right around the time you met Veronica, like you kind of had all these a little sort bit of, before. Yeah. So, so all these sort of four corners of your life that I call physical, me- emotional, mental, spiritual, were kind of coming together, and mm-hmm. then you know, bam, abundance in areas of your life <laughs> and and relationship well, success. Yeah, uh, because I created. Yes, uh, and I don't want to make this sound like the secret or some fucking nonsense like that. Like I created the situation that led to me finding the things I wanted. You right? can, you you built the foundation, then you mm-hmm. could build the house. Right, exactly. And the foundation. Look, you want to meet a great person. You need to first understand who that person is, like at least in a general sense, right? And then where is that person? Like, what do they do? How? Like, you have to put yourself around them, right? So I, I wasn't. I wasn't meeting great girls that I could have partnerships with because I was still meeting girls the same way I had met girls for 15 years, which is basically some offshoot of hookup culture, either through my website or at bars or at parties or some way, shape, or form that involved alcohol or short-term sexual encounters, which are great. Like I have no – there's nothing wrong with that lifestyle. I loved it for a long time. But the woman that I wanted – to date and marry was I was not going to meet in that situation. Even if I came across her at a bar, she wasn't going to talk to me and engage me as a serious partner, right? Um, so, so I had to really kind of rethink what what were the patterns in my life and what results were they producing? And I needed to dig deep and figure out, okay, I need to change the patterns. I want different results, so I need to change my actions and change my patterns, and I need to create patterns that will get me the results I want. And that's exactly what happened. Like it is exact. I did like four or five other things, or at least maybe maybe six or seven different whole lifestyle changes uh, uh, to meet Veronica. Only one of them led me to Veronica, but you never know which one it is. Right. You know, it's and 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 everyone's things are going to be different. The point is, and if it hadn't been Veronica, I'm sure I would have met someone else amazing. Like. I, the idea that there's one person for everyone is so fucking ludicrous and offensive. Right, and six billion a, people on the planet. There's, there, there are not endless numbers. Somehow your soulmate lives in the same town. Right. It's so <laughs> ridiculous and nonsense. There are not endless numbers, but there are at least some uh, tangible number of people that you could very easily end up with um, and, and be very happy with. And I found uh, – I don't think there are a lot for me because I have pretty exacting requirements and, uh, and I'm kind of a weirdo. But I definitely found one of them and I did it by changing my patterns and changing sort of um, – changing my actions t- with the intent of getting a certain result instead of just doing what I'd always done. So, okay, and now the result includes, of course, fatherhood. Right. So when she first told you, hey, I'm pregnant <laughs> – so we had been dating um, a week eight or two. Months. No, okay. no, no, that would that would be a little different. We've been dating about eight months, and uh, I was uh, about to propose to her. Um, uh, we we had already talked about getting engaged or, or getting married, and I, it was it was one of those things where it was uh, like October, November, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it sometime in the holidays, right? Because in that way we can batch all our fucking uh, big moments together. I don't have to have twenty fucking things spread out over the yeah. year, right? Um, and so I knew, I, I knew I wanted to, and listen, getting engaged does not mean getting married, but I knew I wanted to be serious with this girl and take it, uh, like to the next step, which is really would have been the first time in my life I'd been engaged. And I wanted to see like, you know, let, let's, let's see if, if it's everything I think it is, then, then we'll get married and we'll have a family, whatever. Um, and so, uh, I got back from, I went on a trip and I got back and, uh, 
she like she I remember she picked me up from the airport and she was kind of distressed. And I was like, what's wrong? She's like, oh, we'll talk about it at home, whatever. And, like, that's obviously, like, the wrong thing to say to me. Yeah, you I have to no, pull no. over the car and <laughs> well, stop we didn't, at the blue We didn't quite pull it over, right but, now. like, right. It was basically, like, as soon as we got home, she's like, um, she's like, I took six tests and I'm pregnant. And she, like, she was very upset, not because she didn't want to be pregnant, but because she didn't know what I was going to say, Right. And I'll be honest, I was absolutely, uh, I was delighted, actually. I mean, I really was. Um, I know it sounds like, it's one of those things that sounds weird, but I think um, I think it would have been a very difficult process for me because of, I, look, I may be in psychoanalysis. You mean, it, you mean if it happened in a, in a planned way? Right. Uh, not having a kid. Uh, I may be in psychoanalysis and I may be working on my problems, but it doesn't mean I'm fucking through the process. You're, you're never through the process. A kid, That's your life, right? And a kid makes it life part two. Well, right. Here's the thing. I think if we had like gotten engaged the normal way, married the normal way, kid the normal way, I think it would have spread out over a long period of time. I think it would have been way harder for me. Um, I feel like she was on birth control. By no means were we planning to have a kid. But I feel like, in a weird way, the kid was sort of uh, cutting the Gordian knot for me on a lot yeah. of emotional issues, you know? Because it was a, with a woman that I already loved, that I deeply loved, that I was uh, ready to basically marry. And so it was like, oh, this is awesome. Now, uh, in a weird way, it was almost like I don't have to go through all these really emotionally painful moments um, directly. I can deal with them indirectly. You know, I can deal with them in a much slower, more processable way. You know, um, like I, I think there's a lot of things that would have been really, really hard for me that um, that were made. They didn't go away. Problems don't go away, but they just become easier to deal with, right? And and so I, I don't it's not like we didn't have a bad relationship. We had an amazing relationship. So it's not like the kids saved the relationship. I think what the she actually was upset. She thought I was gonna like get upset and like wanna leave her, et cetera, because she she's um she's pro choice, but she doesn't wanna have she didn't want to have an abortion. So she's like, This is I could never abort a child. And and so like in her mind, she knew she was always gonna have it, and she was thinking I don't, I don't know what he's going to say. I might have to raise this alone. And I was like, how could you think that? Like, mm. I would never in a million years um, uh, do that, especially to her, you know? I mean, like, I wouldn't do that to anybody. Like, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I have to marry a girl, right? But for her, I was like, oh, honey. And I was, like, kind of happy, you know? I mean, there were things to work out. It wasn't like, you know, uh, sunshine and kittens immediately. But I was pretty happy. And so... Um, yeah, we decided to actually put off the engagement, uh, have the kid first, and then get engaged after. Even though, look, uh, that's a little bit ridiculous, and it's a little bit of like no, a, because a pregnancy is like a full time job. It is, and it, it needs help. And, and needs I, I've never, system. I've never been through a pregnancy, and neither is she. So, like, we wanted to focus on that, and not like all the mess that comes with getting engaged and getting married. I, I will tell you, like, when when my first wife uh, told me she was pregnant. The first thing I thought was not delight. I didn't want to have kids at all. <laughs> I really hated the thought of having kids. I thought, okay, in nine months, a new U.S. citizen is going to be moving into my house. He or she, he a or U.S. she is citizen. You're such a weirdo. <laughs> he, he or she is going to be one foot tall and not speak English, and is going to shit on the floor, and is going to want to sleep in the bed with my wife and me. <laughs> 
what am I going to do about this? Like, can I get out of it anyway? Like, I was scared to death, and I didn't, I didn't want it. But now, of course, I'm infinitely grateful. She's 15 years old, right. and now she's a teenager, which is much worse. But it was, it was, I was scared. <laughs> like, I was going to have to issue a passport to someone. <laughs> I like how in your mind it was just gonna emerge like a citizen talking already. Yeah, a new like, roommate. All right, all right, come on, Dad, give me some eggs. No, no, that's the thing. I was, she was only gonna cry. She wasn't gonna speak English, and I was gonna have to like hand feed this stranger in my house. <laughs> like, who is this person? Now, of course, and then you th- then you're fooled into thinking, oh, I unconditionally love this person. But then you realize there's actually a lot of conditions. Like it's scary. Well, yes. So uh, should we get into bi- fatherhood now? Yeah, let's and, get into and, fatherhood. Okay, all right. So, so Bishop's born back home. Right. Well, so so to fast forward real quick. How is the pregnancy? Pre- All pregnancy, healthy, safe. Well, she's like, uh, I mean, she is like so fucking healthy. She eats like paleo. Uh, she's you know in incredible shape. Uh, we did a home birth, like midwives, everything smooth as silk. Birth was great. She had almost no problems in the pregnancy. He came out super healthy. Uh, everything's fantastic, right? And so, so at this point, this is uh, July thirtieth was his birthday actually. And at that point, um, it's funny. He was born. I can tell you the exact time he was born, uh, for two reasons. One, because I'm a father, I should remember it. But it, it was five forty six in the morning. And you're a rap fan. 5:46 in the morning is a, from a super a lyric from a super famous rap song from Notorious B.I.G. Who the fuck is this? Paging me at 5:46 oh, yeah, yeah. in the going morning. To, going to California. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, so no, it's not not Cali. It's a it's a whole other song. But like, oh, so it was so funny. That. He was born at 5:46. It was funny. The midwife called it out, and I was like, wow, that's. That's notorious B.I.G. I, like it was like one of those weird things where it's like you shouldn't be talking about some dead rapper when your kid's born, but that's what I thought about. Um, and so, right, you had this idea in your head um, when, at least I did, when a kid's born, like your your idea of a baby, at least as as an adult who hasn't spent a lot of time around uh, sort of like infants. My idea of of an infant is a six month old, right? Something that like. Can kind not really talking necessarily, but can reacts to you and coos. Yeah, their eyes and, focus. Right, they, their eyes focus. They're yeah. like, oh, they smile at you. They're they're sort of interactive, like puppies almost, yeah. right? Like babies are nothing like that. No. They're basically sociopathic locusts, and you can kill them. Like <laughs> like you can By roll, accident, you can roll over and dude, they're dead, <laughs> dude. When I say sociopathic locusts, I mean like I mean this almost literally. Like think about what a locust does, right? It eats incessantly. Babies have to eat like 15 times a day. It basically right. lives on the breast for the first right. three months. Well, now breastfeeding, for the man, breastfeeding is critical because you don't want to be involved in the no, feeding. No, no, <laughs> So you want the woman to breastfeed. No, so of course. And I'm not being sexist, but I'm just, I'm no, being. No, that's way healthier. Yeah. All the, the empirical data is clear as day. If you can breastfeed, do breastfeed. If you can't, it's not the end of the world, obviously, mm. but it is, it's, it's better for almost every single aspect of the baby's health if you can breastfeed. So You know, I was reading about this in Dave Asprey's upcoming book, actually. Right. Uh, the lauric acid in the um, breast milk has a lot of the same thing that's in coconut, uh, or, uh, coconut oil. Tons of fat. Which uh, you look at every uh, population on Earth that lives to like over 100, they all have like coconut oil all over the place. Yep. Yeah. No, seriously, it's true. So they're eating all the time like a locust, incessant, right? Uh, they shit everywhere. Fit tw- 
You don't understand how much a baby shits until you're on like the 12th or 15th diaper and it's like in six o'clock yeah. in the in the afternoon. You're like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? It's basically a machine that just puts breast milk in one end and shit out the other. It does not interact with you at all. Like it's like a lo- locust don't interact. They just they just they go. They do their thing, right? It and it has one way of communicating. So, so, so basically, you're saying babies are mean. <laughs> no, 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 but they're not mean though. There's no intent, right? They, okay, there's no malicious well, intent. They, they only have one way to communicate, right? And it's mm-hmm. like they basically have two states. They're either content or they're fucking nuclear. Mm-hmm. They are the the baby's weapon is the piercing, shrill baby cry, which is undefeatable weapon. You right. cannot. That noise is literally biologically designed. To get a fucking reaction out of you. Right. Do you so I'll tell you a that's crazy... How, that's how they survived. That's how the next generation left. Oh, it's, dude, it's absolutely. totally evolutionary. Of course. It makes total sense evolutionary, but it still drives you fucking crazy. Right. When that thing is crying, and it won't stop crying, and you can't figure out why it's crying, because it can't talk to you. It's a baby, right? Yeah. And you're like, you, you feel so hopeless and helpless. It's like, and then they sleep. That's all they do. Those four things, and no one tells you this. And when I say sociopaths, it's like, like... They don't – if you understand child development, you understand that, like, kids uh, basically for the first two months, give or take, there's they don't even have an external reality. They right. can't they see. They think they're the mother. Right. <laughs> no, they think that they basically just uh, wish for something in a way uh, or they demand it sort of in their own sort of neurological unconscious way and it shows up. Uh. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> Titty milk. You know, like, uh, I shit myself. <laughs> you know, I'm clean. Like – yeah, I'm tired. I go to sleep. Like it's a very simple existence for them, and it's like they're like these little narcissists that think that everything in the world exists for them because they're babies. They don't know any. I mean, that's the way that they are. Well, well, right? it's because they're babies, but also that lasts until about the age of eighteen. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's different though. When they're older, you can speak to them, and right. everything changes, right? But as a baby, they basically go utterly nuclear unless the, all their needs are met, and. And and it's like you can't even – dude, one of the, the first stages in infant development is called object uh, – sort of object relations. It's the idea uh, – in about three months, infants start to understand shit exists outside of them. And they kind of really start to learn it really more towards six months. So think about that for a minute. The entire existence of the baby uh, for the first whatever, four, three to six months, it doesn't even realize there's an external universe. So that is the ultimate sociopath or narcissist right. sort of for the baby. So, so you know what's the interesting thing? All these things you're saying I've read about but in the past year, okay? And I have a 15 and a 12-year-old. You you're you have like a 4-month-old and you've read about it. So you you intensely oh, study. Dude. It's like you're it's like you're a biohacker of the li- environment around you. You study what's happening to you. I was like in avoidance of what was happening no, to me. No, I I because I would go for like a haircut and then I would just go across the street and read <laughs> comic books for 2 hours. And like she would say, "Where were you?" There was a line at the barbershop. Like I couldn't get home. I don't know what to do. And I feel bad about it. I regret it, but you know, but it happened. Well, there was no way. You didn't have any way to deal with it. I had no way to deal with it. Your way of dealing is avoidance. My way of dealing is learning. Because, like, in my mind, that's why I have 3,000 books in my apartment, whatever. In my mind, there's always an explanation, you know, and if I can figure it out, then maybe I can, like, sort of work through it and solve the problem. Maybe, maybe not, right? Um, so, yeah, I read actually a bunch of child development stuff. Uh, D.W. Winnicott's stuff is probably the best. Um, even though it's like 70 years old, he's still the best. There's a bunch of neurological research since then. All of it has basically confirmed pretty much everything he, he thought. Um, here's the irony, though, of this, mm-hmm. right? 
if you don't so basically like babies don't give a shit about you they don't even know you exist but if you don't all it understands is its own needs and if you if you meet those needs if you basically give in to the sociopathic little locust for the first three to six months then that's how it develops like uh, emotionally and that's how it becomes a full human but if you like don't pay attention to it or don't meet its needs well, it creates all kinds of internal neurological issues mm. that play out then in, in any number of different ways in adulthood. Like, that's what's so crazy to me is I so have you, to like... you have to be like on call. Oh, yeah. It's like a Zen thing. Like, you have to be totally focused on the baby. Well, I mean... nothing distracting. So we, we kind of raise Bishop. We use very sort of paleo principles of the way we eat, the way we raise the kids. So... Pretty much at all times, he's eating um, a steak. No, he's titty milks. Only t- that's all he cares about is titty milk. But he's uh, he's attached to somebody, you know. Like um, we we kind of like carry him even usually around the house, like uh, you know, like uh, the little baby carriers on the chest or whatever, yeah. like Moby wraps or there's all these different ones. Um, I mean, not at all times. He takes a nap during the day. We just put him like in his little carriage and we put him in the bathroom and turn the fan on because he loves the ambient noise, right? So we're not like crazy people about it. But, you know, he'll wake up, start crying. We go pick him up, put him in the little carrier with us. And usually it's Veronica or Veronica's mom, his grandmother, who carry him. Like I don't really spend a lot of time uh, walking around with a baby strapped to me because babies are high maintenance. You know, like they need a lot of attention. And they want the mother. When they're young. And they mostly like uh, – no, actually, They Bishop, don't care about you that much. Here's the thing. Bishop doesn't really care who holds him. He just likes being held by someone who's um, affectionate. Uh, and then he also wants titty milk. And so, like, he, I, I don't, still don't think he understands the difference between people who can give him titty milk and people who can't. Because mm. he'll paw at my shirt sometimes mm. and try and, like, if I'm carrying him, like, without a shirt on, like, every now and then he'll reach for one of my nipples. And I'm like, dude, those, that's going to – that tap is dry, dude. <laughs> it's like, not going to work. He doesn't quite get it yet. Um, so, so let me ask you a question then because this, this I don't know the answer of. When, when do you think you do set the first boundary for a baby? I don't know. I haven't, we haven't come to that point yet. So I, you, I don't know. So right now it's just all like, I want, you give. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it, it is absolutely, utterly crucial uh, for the first, I think, at least six months of the baby. Uh, the, there's no such thing as spoiling a baby that's mm-hmm. under six months, and probably under a year, I think. Uh, I don't want to talk out of turn. I have a right. four-month-old, and, and I barely know what I'm doing now. Um, but there is absolutely no such thing as... Um, as spo- the, spoiling them there's look there's all these weird i didn't really even have i should have anticipated but there's a huge body of literature about raising children and there's a bunch of different camps right i said like having you know and, and what to do in birth how to raise the kid what to eat there's like all these different theories and most of them are total fucking nonsense bullshit like, like what's, a, I don't, what's a nonsense well the big nonsense one it sounds like is the one where you let the baby scream until it dude, gets quiet the idea that you let a baby cry itself out is so fucking insane and ridiculous you are flooding that baby's brain is flooding with all kinds of toxic chemicals and it, you are literally a lot of cortisol tons and like lots of other shit and it, you are you the baby's brain is essentially neurologically rewiring to be very sensitive to stress to be essentially an anxious fucking mess its whole life, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it, it, it is one of the worst things you can do. And that doesn't mean that you have to dote over your child 24-7 if, and if it cries for like more than three seconds, you've ruined it. Of course not. I'm talking about people who like, oh, yeah, just put the, the baby should, you know, sleeps in a different room and it cries itself to sleep. Are you kidding? That's fucking nuts. Like, mm-hmm. 
clear as day, evidence is clear as day, neurological evidence that that is awful. Like, and some people think this is amazing, right? Dude, I mean, the idea that you should, there's a huge debate between midwives and home births, like a home birth with a midwife and a hospital birth. I, I mean, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't give a shit, right? Mm. I looked at the evidence and I looked at both sides and it was clear as day to me that home births are a hundred times better in every way for they're cheaper, they're better for the mom, uh, everything everything about them are better. Well, the mom has more control in the situation, but if there's a problem, yes. she's in trouble. Absolutely. Uh, look, OBGYNs exist to, um, to for those like three percent of cases where you need surgical intervention or some sort of serious right. me- you know breaches things like that those things exist and without OBGYNs and hospitals those women die right so for those situations no one argues that OBGYNs are not and, and, and emergency rooms and hospitals are not the best situation but the vast majority of births uh, should not be in hospitals like I mean it's it's insane. It's fucking insane, dude. Like if you look at some of this stuff, and of course I I had never studied this because why would I care, right? Um, and so you know we ended up doing a home birth and, and basic things. I mean breastfeeding seems really basic. I understand some women can't for various reasons, uh, whatever medical. But like some people seem to think breastfeeding is not good for the infant. I'm like, are you a crazy person? Like what what do you understand about biology or anything about the world to think that, right? And then like there's a couple other things that are just fucking nonsense uh, that, that just, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if you do those basics right, it actually becomes, it's not too hard to raise a kid. It's a, it's tedious and it's a lot of work, but it's simple work. It's doing the same thing over and over. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Because it, it goes from uh, breastfeeding to chauffeuring. So you right. have to learn how to be a really good chauffeur uh, for your kids when well, they're older. It, it's like... Uh, Look, the baby always requires constant attention. There's all whatever. It's 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 a lot of work and it's tedious. It's just not hard. It's not hard in the sense that it's not intellectually taxing. It's not hard to do. But if you don't like tedious work, like I don't like tedious work, then raising a baby is really difficult because you're like doing the things you hate, right? right. Which is actually why I'm. The, I think I'm the only dude on earth who was super happy to move his mother-in-law. Into his place. No, I was. I believe me. I was. Isn't it amazing? I would have given all my money to have the mother-in-law like stay there forever, dude. So, so she came for the first week and was amazing, right? She's like, cause she's raised kids of her own, and she's like this sweet, calm, wonderful, matronly Southern woman, and like everything was great. And then she left, and it was like for like three weeks. It was four weeks. It was kind of hell's not the right word, but it was very stressful for Veronica and I. You know, Veronica, like, has the whole, like, she wants to be super mom and do everything and keep her business running and raise this kid and, you know, get her body back. And I'm like, you just had a baby. You need to relax, right? But, but I'm sure it and took Veronica, like, three weeks to get, get three back. Well, three months. She, yeah. you, should, you'll, you'll, you should see her now. She looks amazing. It's pretty it's, – she's actually gotten in ba- back into shape quicker than I have. It's uh. really ridiculous. But, um, no, so I eventually – I, I almost had to call up her mom and be like, look, her mom – her mom's, you know, widower, sitting in Tennessee doing nothing. I'm like, this is insanity. And I'm like, how much is a one-bedroom apartment in Austin? $1,500 a month. Okay, I'm paying rent. Grandma, you are moving here. You are going to be at our place from 9 a.m. to like 4 p.m. every day. And she's probably you, happy with it. Oh, my goodness. She thanks me every day. Did like, I did a, a, a gift. Um, they. It's not like a bad relationship. It, 
I think when Veronica had a kid, it really changed their relationship, and they got a lot closer. Uh. Um, because now they're both mothers and now they have a common goal, which is to raise Bishop in the best way possible. And they're both really, she's an amazing grandmother. Veronica's an amazing mom. Uh, and together I think they do, uh, I know they do an amazing job because like, I don't have to do any of the shit that I hate and that I'm bad at. Like sitting there, I love my son, but like holding the bottle for an hour, burping him, wipe. I mean, the, the dude throws up like, he's yeah. like your worst drunk friend ever. Right. Babies well, throw up all worse the time. Than that because like, honestly, you would never willingly be no. best friends with like a four month old. <laughs> and so like, this is like your best friend now. Like if you got married, this is your best man. <laughs> so you would never, that would never happen. Like you would never pick a random four month old to be best friends with. Like I'm best friends with my two daughters, but like I would never be best friends with a 12 year old normally. <laughs> So I, I know it's like it's and so it's it like changes you. Right. It does. And uh, there were times, especially that first month, I was feeling very stressed and resentful. Um, and it was like, look, I've made a lot of money in my life. I've been very successful. This is bullshit. Like someone needs to take care of this kid the right way. And someone needs to help Veronica. Veronica is always going to be the mom's always going to be the main one. But someone's got to really help her. It's not going to be me. I, I have got to do other things that make a lot of money. I run other businesses. I can't be a nursemaid, right? Um, and so if there's an easy solution. We were going to hire help, but then I was like, you can't ever hire anyone better than Granny. No one loves the kid more than Granny. Yeah. No one's better than Granny. Granny will, like, all she works for is rent money. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's the greatest. And she's really great to have around. Bishop loves her. You get along with her? Oh, of course. Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Look, let me explain for all like if you're a guy out there or I guess a, a girl and you don't you're not married, you don't have a kid, you want to get married and have a kid. I the most important thing you can do is exactly what you said earlier. Meet and marry the right person and almost everything else takes care of itself uh with a little bit of work. Right. Um Yes. Stepmother is, or uh, uh, my uh, mother-in-law is amazing. You know why? Because I married an amazing woman, and amazing women usually have pretty good moms. They usually come from amazing women. Not always, tons of exceptions, but that's usually the case, right? It's sort of like, like all, all these guys I know who have kids. They're like, oh, you're, you're getting sleep? I'm like, yeah, I sleep normal. I sleep through the night. They're like, how are you doing that? I'm like, well, Veronica gets up to feed the kid, and she doesn't wake me up. And they're like, what they're like going like what do you mean i'm like well, what the, i don't have any tits man how yeah. am i like what there's nothing i can do at three in the morning when he's crying and they're like oh no sympathy like like she my wife wakes me up every time and she would always blah, blah. i don't like well you married a because <laughs> that's awful and useless and stupid like what why would she do that to you that's awful you know i mean like if you could do something it makes total sense but like Veronica and I didn't even have this conversation. She's like, I would never wake Tucker up unless I needed him. And she does sometimes. And she wakes me up. And it's no problem. But 90% of the time, she handles it because I have nothing to add to a breastfeeding situation. You know? And it's like, that. you know why that, that wasn't a problem? Because I married an amazing woman. An amazing woman who cares about me and who understands that we're partners. And I do certain things. And she does other things. And together, uh, with Bishop and Grandmother, we create this amazing whole, and everyone gets what they want. It and doesn't how, mean you have to do the same thing. How long Grandma stay? Because I think, 
I think the first year is critical. I think grandma's probably going to be in Austin for 10 years. <laughs> All right. The, well, look, because, the, more, the longer the better. Because here's the thing. So I think Veronica and I are going to have three or four kids. So mm-hmm. spaced at least two years apart, maybe three. Um, Those and are so, good differences. Yeah. Two to three at least. And then also Veronica's brother lives in Austin as well. And he just got married. And his wife, my who I guess is my sister-in-law, uh, she like, oh my goodness. She does not. She comes over and all she wants to do is hold Bishop and stare at him. It's like so she's ready to oh, go. Dude, she's like, it's like I've never seen anyone who wants a kid more than this woman. Um, she is just all about like Bishop and I, like you can I can just see in her, which is like she's gonna be an amazing mom. Jonathan, who's her brother, is gonna be an amazing dad. So I think probably Granny's gonna have like anywhere from three to six grandkids over the next ten years. She's gonna be in heaven. She's just gonna live in Austin and take care of her grandkids. And it's going to be like the most amazing situation. And it helps everybody. The grandkids are better off because you have multiple adult uh, uh, members around who are raising them. Uh, Parents are better off because work is split among a lot of people. Everyone's better off. This is a great situation, you know? And so, like, this is – if you can create a situation like this where you have good family and they help you, I don't know of anything better. Dude, you know what? I I know that single parents exist, but – if I if I didn't know that, I would sit here and tell you it's impossible to be a single parent. This is the, I, it seems insane to me to do this alone. Yeah, no, it seems like the it takes a village really applies seriously. To kids, no, and, and it never ends. Like until they're like twenty three or twenty four, <laughs> it never ends. Like when you're when Bishop is a teenager, we'll have a podcast again and just discuss the teenage years. Like that will be we'll awesome. have to kind of like st- every stage of right. like childhood. What's it like but, now? Because they they change, but they don't change. They st- they remain narcissists forever. <laughs> So at some point, that as an adult, they somehow transform and learn how not to be. But it never – some form of what you're saying it applies to the age of 5, 10, I don't 15. think – I think I learned that like at 34, dude. Uh, for me, probably 41. Right. So right. I'm 46 now. Claudia's out there. Did I learn it yet? I don't know if she's left yet. Maybe she left already. She's shaking but, her head no. Oh, yeah. So see, uh, no. But – um. So, so Tucker, I want to get to part two of uh, our our podcast. So, your congratulations, your father. I can't believe how much like work and study you have done on this. Uh, I'm really impressed. I really was in a constant state of avoidance the entire first year of my first. Well, you kids. were probably but, young. It came on you uh, as a I shock. I was young, right? and it was total shock. No, and, it was uh, super important for me that it happened when I when I wanted it to. You know. Now I'm trying to. Um, you know, I don't want to say use the words make up for because you can't really do that. And and I was there for her, but I am trying to be extra specially good. But it's but it's hard. There's no correct answer on how to be a good parent. Like there's no one definitive You know what? Answer. I actually think there is. Sort of. Okay, uh, tell me. So let me t- here's what I think and this could be a young parent naivete. I fully recognize that this is possible. Me I, being an experienced parent now. <laughs> well, As you can tell I'm an expert. <laughs> well, you're way more expert than I am. Um I I really think, man, the most important thing is that you unconditionally love and accept your child or provide an environment of love and acceptance. Um, And everything else, I think, uh, you know, teach them things is awesome. You know, provide, you know, food, shelter. All that stuff is really important. Uh, But I think if you unconditionally love and accept your child uh, and meet their emotional needs, especially when they're really young – uh, but I think continuing through their teenage years, if you do that, I think at, you are giving your kids the tools they need the most to succeed at life. 
Okay, and I agree with you theoretically, and we're going to play 15 years from now, we're going to play back what you just said. <laughs> okay. Because I agree with you theoretically, but what happens is they argue, they, they don't just cry, they argue back with you intellectually, and mm-hmm. there's, in some ways they're smarter than you because they know exactly what buttons to push right. on daddy to make him do stuff. And so unconditional love is one thing, but then you, you suddenly, you're like, they program you like a robot. Well, dude, so you don't, un- you don't know what unconditional love is at some point. But unconditional love doesn't mean giving them everything on earth. I know, but then it's hard to too figure much, out. Too much indulgence is a form of abuse. Yes. I mean, setting setting correct boundaries or setting some reasonable boundaries and forcing those is part of love. I agree with that, but there's no map is the problem. No. So you no, don't know where the boundaries are, and, and they change every yeah. day. That's the problem. That's true, yes. So, so we'll see. I can't wait till he starts talking. Like That's the funnest part. Right. Ages, ages 5 through 12... I'm going to even say 7 through 12 are like magic years. Right, right. Then 12 and a half, they suddenly realize. They get awkward, yeah. Yeah, it's not just that they get awkward. They suddenly realize it's like it's the mammalian brain, right? They suddenly realize if the lion's attack is not my old dad who's going to save me, it's my peer group who's yeah, going to save yeah, yeah. me. Uh-huh. So things change in their brain yeah. on purpose. Not like an, It used to be people thought that the teenage brains change awkwardly but it's actually very planned by evolution mm-hmm. that's yeah. how they survive yeah. is by trashing the parents well but, right that's how you that's how you form your own group yeah you know yeah for that the period it's very important mm-hmm. so so anyway congratulations on fatherhood thank you thank you also for announcing it on this podcast of it was course. a great conversation yes. about it and we'll, we'll have many more but we're going to do another episode two about your new venture that i want to talk about because i'm excited about it as well so we're going to begin episode two in one second can we, can we pee and stuff? Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Las acciones dicen más que las palabras. Abre el Pro Access Tailgate disponible de la nueva Ford F-150. Sí, una puerta oscilatoria de fácil acceso para convertir su cama en tu nuevo taller. Conecta tus herramientas al Pro Power Onboard disponible. Ya sea que necesites soldar o cortar madera, con la F-150 puedes. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Pro Access Tailgate disponible en la primavera de 2024.